The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Good morning, church. Who's fired up to be in church this morning? Woo! Get fired up. I tell you what, I'm going to be fired up till I die. That's about when I'll stop being fired up. I'm never going to retire. Um, I, retirement is not my goal. Effectiveness with my life is my goal. Is that true for you? Awesome. So I, I'm excited to be here. Um, my name is Joe Sangle. I want to tell you a little bit about myself and then we'll dive into the message. It's always helpful to find out who's talking. Um, I am the youngest of six boys. Um, my mother and father had four boys, and they tried one more time for the daughter that they really wanted. Um, it was March 31st. My mother went into labor. It was about four hours before April Fool's Day, and my mother was in the hospital, and the nurse was listening to the womb with a stethoscope, because that's how they rolled back then, I guess, in the hospital. And the nurse got a puzzled and perplexed look and raced out and came back with the doctor. And he listened, and he did not have a puzzled or perplexed look. He looked right at my mother and said, are you ready to deliver two babies? Because I just heard two heartbeats. And my mother said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to have one, and it's going to be a girl. He said, I don't know about the girl, but I definitely know about the two part. She thought it was an April Fool's joke. But it wasn't. About, a, about 10 p.m., my identical twin brother was born. And seven minutes later, I was born. Yes. And my mother cried. She literally cried and said, the Lord has spoken. If we try for a daughter again, we'll have triplet boys. So we are through with this. So I'm the youngest of six boys. So one reason that I'm loud is because I had to be loud just to like be heard or eat. And so it was necessary for my survival. Um, I, I, have, I grew up just south of Indianapolis, Indiana. I went to Purdue University to study mechanical engineering. I did graduate. I graduate with special honors. Um, some of you graduate with special honors like magna cum laude and summa cum laude and cum laude. I graduated with lesser known honors that I gave myself called thank the laude. And I got out of there. And uh, I, I majored in Jennifer Lynn Nijakowski, a Chicago Polish Southsider that I met my first weekend there. And we got married, and I, I took a job transfer to South Carolina uh, in 1998, and I ended up attending Clemson University and joined the ACC and got my master's in business administration. And I had planned out my life. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever said, this is the plan I have for my life, God bless them? Have you ever done that? 
What does God do when you do that? He says, "Uh uh-uh, that's backwards. You're supposed to seek my will for your life, and then I'll bless that. And so he was actually preparing me to go into ministry. In fact, our first year there, we got involved with a thriving youth ministry and ended up helping plant a church. Uh, In 1999, we stepped out in faith uh, to plant a church in Anderson, South Carolina, my wife and I and 13 other people. And we did that because we saw that half of the people in our county did not know Jesus. Is that any different today in Amarillo? And so we said, we're going to do everything short of sin to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we assaulted them with kindness. And we assaulted them with the gospel. And God showed up and blew up our church. In fact, today, uh, in Anderson, South Carolina, and across the state of South Carolina, uh, New Spring Church will have over 40,000 people in attendance today. So if you want to know why I'm fired up, you don't look any farther than that. I've seen us baptize 2,000 people at one time. I've seen us do it again. Not the same people, like a separate group of people. (laughs) And, And I've seen the book of Acts come to life before my very eyes. And one thing that I have discovered is it takes a group of people all out, sold out to the cause of Jesus Christ. That not, not weak Christians, but people that are passionate about what the Lord has done in their life. And what I have realized is it takes passionate people all out, sold out with their time, their talent, and with their treasure. You see, how much ministry can you do for $100? $100 worth, that's right. How much can you do for a million? A million dollars worth. And what is the greatest thing that I have found in my life is that God chooses to use us, people that are still sinners, saved by grace, right? To be able to help others experience life change and liberty. In fact, in the worship today, the words of liberation from bondage were in that worship song. And when you see that, that is the gospel. We are liberated from bondage and we get to experience freedom. Now, I was liberated by Jesus Christ in my life. However, I had no idea what God's word had to say about money. And so I went to Purdue University, and my first week in there, they offered me a credit card application, lots of them actually, in exchange for free stuff. I fill out the application, they give me free stuff. Now, it was a rapid application process because I had no job and no money. I was 18 years old. I was clueless. And so I filled out every application. What's your name? Joe Sengel. What's your income? Zero. What, how, what's your job? Don't have one. How much money you have? None. And they gave me free stuff. So I filled out all of them. There's no way they'd give me a credit card, right? Wrong. A week later, a credit card showed up in the mailbox. The next day, I practiced with it. <laughs> and, and I started dating this girl um, when I went to college and. Um, Man, I tell you, it was a terrible relationship. T-R-B-L, terrible. Um, Like this girl, it was awful. Like every letter she wrote me was about money. And uh, I found out quickly she was dating other people too. In fact, I found out some of you are dating her right now. Her name is Sally Mae, student loan company. Does anybody know Sally Mae? The jokes won't get any better. (laughs) But I started dating Sally Mae student loan company because I had no money for college. My parents were lucky to raise six children successfully. There was no money for college. And while I was the youngest of six, I was the first of six to go to college. And so I financed all my college education with student loans. 
And I did graduate in four years with a degree in mechanical engineering. And I graduated with tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt and thousands of dollars of credit card debt. And I, I didn't know. See, all I had seen done in my life with money was one thing. What's that? Spend it. And therefore, when I got money, guess what I did with it? Spent it. You see, I, I grew up going to a church, but we never talked about money. The only time I heard about money was when it was giving. But what I quickly realized is that God owns it all. Pastor Richie shared last week that God owns it all. He owns the giving, the tithe, the 10%, but he also owns the other 90% and cares greatly about what you do with it. You see, I met a lot of people who give 10% but spend the rest and wonder why they're broke. Well, listen, it's important to give. It's also important to save. It's important to invest. God's word is filled with that, and we'll unpack that today. But see, I didn't know that, and so I continued my surge of spending. You see, I graduated. I was so fired up. I had been driving a clunker automobile. Have you ever drove a clunker? See, by, by show of hands, I'm not asking if you are right now. You may be driving one. Can I get a witness that when you're driving a clunker, you have never been closer to the Lord than when you're driving it? I'm serious. You will pray through every time you drive it. You're like, Jesus, you're driving along. You hear a sound. You're like, Jesus, I rebuke that sound in the name. I, I, you know, have you ever prayed for a sound your car's made? I have. I'm honest. It, we are in a church. We promote honesty and integrity. And, and so I had a 1981 Datsun B210. If you were not born in 1981 or you don't remember what that looks like, you should Google that later today. It will bless you. They, they were one of the first import vehicles. They ran forever on a gallon of gas. And the engine ran forever, but the body kind of corroded around it. Do you remember these cars? It was like very small. Here's the 1981 Datsun B210. One day we realized that the, the passenger side floorboard had rusted through. You could see the road. And uh, one day uh, I drove across a railroad track that was kind of a rougher crossing. And the entire dash fell in my lap. The whole dash. And so because I was broke, I jammed it back up and tied it up with clothesline. I did. Shortly after that, the driver's side door stopped latching. And what should have been a sure sign that I should not be an engineer, I could not repair it. And so I literally rolled down the window and tied the door shut with the rest of the clothesline and went in and out of the window like the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> and and uh, that was not awesome. Um, but anyhow, I, I was so tired and sick of that car um, that I decided that it was time to replace it. That aha moment came one night when I was driving down the road in the pitch black moonlight. There's moon, moon, a little bit of stars, but pitch black. I'm driving to my parents' house, and I hit a spot where there's a culvert under the road, like a hump. And I hit it, you know, I was going top speed of like 46 miles an hour. And my lights went out. And a fireball, this big, no exaggeration, came out of the hood, roared over the windshield, and then the lights came back on. And I was like, ah! And I kept driving. Have you ever ignored an obvious problem? And so I was like, the second time that happened, I decided I should check this out. And in keeping with the theme of the vehicle, the battery holders had rusted off. And then when I was hitting bumps, the battery is bouncing up, arcing out on the metal hood and igniting a pinhole leak in the fuel line. So because I was broke, guess how I fixed the pinhole leak in the fuel line? Duct tape, baby. You know I did. I sold that car with duct tape on the fuel line. 
I sold it for 250 bucks, and I did let them know it was leaking fuel. Do you know why I bought a car? Because I felt like I needed one, but I didn't save for one. So when I graduated college, the first thing I did was go to the car lot. And I had no plan and no money. I didn't even negotiate. And I bought myself a brand new 1997 Chevy Cavalier. Woo, get fired up. Styling and profiling. And uh, I, I paid $359.96 forever to pay that thing off. Shortly after that, um, I, I, I made up a book in the Bible called The First Book of Hesitations. And First Book of Hesitations, chapter 3, verse 2, says every dude in the South needs a truck. And uh, it doesn't say that. But I bought a truck, 100% financing. And then I'd been dating Jennifer Lynn Nijakowski for four years through college. So I asked her to marry me. So I financed the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the wedding, and the honeymoon. Get fired up. And then we needed a house. And so we, we went and we found a house. And we signed about 83 documents that said, you will be broke forever. You're welcome, the bank. And, uh, and then we needed furniture, so we bought it 24 months, same as cash. Brilliant decision-making, right? I wonder if anyone here has ever made at least one of those financial decisions before in your life, okay? And, and listen, I had no plan, and therefore all my money ran away from me. I didn't realize that God owned it all, that I was a manager, but there came a moment in my life where I realized I'm making money, but all of it immediately goes to someone else. I'm constantly going further in the hole. Something's not working. And I started looking for wisdom in this area of finances. And I, I listened to the people on TV. I, I started going to some classes. I read some books. And, and then I stumbled upon the greatest money book ever written. And the crazy thing, it had been in my life all along. Guess what it was? The Bible. The, the Bible talks more about money than it does the topics of love, hope, and prayer combined. And so today, I'm going to talk about a particular passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 4. It's the story of a guy named Barnabas. It says, in verse 32 through 37, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were... So, just a few needy persons? How many? None. God's people are generous. It's not, that, that cannot be separated. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, who I share a name with, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, Joseph's gift, Barnabas' gift, actually made such an impact that we're talking about him today, 2,000 years later. And today I want to talk about generosity and what really happens, what really happens when we give. And I don't know that we always connect the dots about what truly happens when we give. But today, I wanted to unpack three things that happen when we give. The first thing that happens when we give is when we give, we honor God. When we give, we honor God. You see, everything is His. 
I mean, we know that, right? It's all his. Um, like, it, 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 here, all the stuff we have, as Pastor Richie shared last week, all the stuff we have, it's going to go to someone else after we die. We're managers of it for a period of time. And when we give, it is a way that we are saying, God, you are the provider of it all, and I'm going to help reach others and serve others, those that you are passionate about, by putting you first. Now, we might say we work really hard for what we have, and we do, and we might say it's mine. However, in Deuteronomy 8.18, it answers that and says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And, no, and, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. Now, God wants to be first. Is that right? He wants to be first in your time, first in your talents, first in your, your finances. Now, I've looked up this word, first fruits, in the Bible, because as I was reading it, to gain money wisdom, I started seeing this word, first fruits. And it was mentioned a lot. In fact, in the NIV, it's mentioned a total of 31 times. That word first fruits. And it's related to putting God first through giving. That you're recognizing he's first. In the King James Version, it says it 30 times. The word first fruits. In the ESV, if you like to read that edition of the Bible, it's mentioned 33 times. For fun, I search for the word last fruits. Guess how many times that shows up in all editions of the Bible? Zero. So we can great, get great wisdom from Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're last. See, if God ain't first, he's last. Shake and bake, baby. <laughs> if God ain't first, what is he in your life? See, why would God ask us to bring or return the tithe? Because he knows our hearts are connected to that treasure. And that if he can get our attention with finances, he's got our attention. You see, it says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, listen, have you ever had something stolen from you? Anybody here had something stolen? Does it make you experience very special feelings? I mean, very special feelings, right? And you really have to practice the gospel and forgiveness, right? But it, it's talking about thieves breaking and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question. Are you putting God first in your finances? Like, like for real, legit, every time he blesses you, you give first. Statistics are quite condemning. You see, George Barna, a great research group, shows that 2.9%, less than three people out of 100 people who say that Jesus Christ has redeemed their life, actually give a tithe, 10% of their income. And what I know is when I started putting God first, that's when I started seeing crazy things happen in my life. It's when I started seeing crazy things happen in my church. We can expect God to move in an incredible way if we don't fund it. I'm challenging you. 
See, my wife and I were broke. We were like, I don't know what to do with this. And, and listen, if being honest, some of us have been in financial conditions where it's hard to see how in the world we could ever give. I mean, I had so much debt sitting on top of me, and I was wrestling with this. Say, it says in God's word I should tithe. I want to tithe, but I can't even make it without tithing. Have you ever been there? So I'm like, I don't know how this works. But there was a day that my bride and I looked at each other before God, and we drew a line in the sand, and we said, from this day forward, for the rest of our lives, we're going to put God first. And let me tell you something. Life change took place. You see, back in 2000. Uh, 2001, 2002, we had a recession. We tend to have those about every seven years. Have you noticed this? And the government decided to stimulate the economy by issuing stimulus payments, economic stimulus payments. Does anybody remember this? And we got, we got, whew, we got $300 each. Do you remember this? It's basically an advance of your tax refund. Some of you weren't around when that happened, but some of you remember this. And, and we were getting $600, my wife and I, 300 each, $600, and we were going to be so wealthy. We had no money. We had an average bank balance of $4.13, for real. And so we were so pumped we were going to get $600. And our church, uh, we were growing, and we needed to fund our next step. Does that sound familiar? And we needed, to, we needed to expand our space to reach more people for Jesus. And so we, we were like getting ready to get the money. And then, oh my goodness, the church needed to take a next step. And so my wife and I, we decided that we would give that money, all of it, to the church. Now, that was a huge decision for us. We had no idea how much that would honor God and what that would do for us. You see, my bride's mother, I love my mother-in-law. Some people, they don't like their mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. She's amazing. But she was far from Christ. And she called and she said, what, what are you guys going to do with your economic stimulus payments? Like it's going to be $600. What are you guys going to buy? And my bride said, well, Joseph and I, we're going to give it to our church. See, our church was a baby, 180 total people. And it, I have, and my, my mother-in-law tells me to this day, when she heard that her daughter and son-in-law were going to give it to their church, she was so confused. She is like, what? But it caused her to say, I need to go down to South Carolina and see what God's doing, see what's, what's up. She came to church, and guess what God did? She committed her life to Christ. Let, let me tell you, that precipitated massive change. In fact, seven members of my wife's family, when she was the only Christ follower in her family, seven members have came to faith in Christ through our church. And I believe part of it, it the, the actual initiative catalyst was because we chose to give. When we give, we honor God. I want that to happen in your life. Listen, uh, th there's a statement made uh, by Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo wrote a book in the 1850s that became a play. Now, I am not French, so I'm not sure I can pronounce this correctly, but there's a play that looks like it says Les Miserables, but I think it's Les Miserables. Some of you have seen the play. I, I don't know. Correct me later if I'm wrong. But anyhow, Victor Hugo wrote a statement in that play that's amazing. He said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I'm going to say that again because that's good. You can give without loving, right? The kid comes, 
uh, the, they, they have Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, I'm giving. Right? I'm giving. Uh, uh, the Boy Scouts come with popcorn, which is a terrible idea versus cookies, right? But they come with popcorn, I'm going to give. You, you know, yep. And they come with wrapping paper to sell, I'm going to buy it, right? It's the neighbor kid. I'm going to give. I don't necessarily love. But listen, you cannot love someone without giving. It's not possible. When you love someone, you're going to give. I don't care how much you hate Christmas. I don't care how much you say, bah humbug. I don't care. I'm, on December 24th, you'll say, I'll be back. And you go buy something. Why? Because you cannot love without giving. You cannot say that Christ has redeemed my soul and I love him and not be a giver. It's impossible. The second thing that happens when we give is when we give, we bless others. When we give, we bless others. You see, there are people in great need. And when we give, we bless them. You see, Jesus really cared about the least of these. The kicked aside the downtrodden, those in bondage. The lot, we, in fact, we, we've helped birth a ministry in our town called the Lot Project. L-O-T, least of these. It's a food ministry, clothing ministry, an equipping ministry. Jesus really cares about them. So do you. And when we give, we bless others. In, in fact, in Acts 4, 34 through 35, we see it. It says, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need, and it blessed them. You see, I, I want to do a little exercise here, and this is going to require thinking, okay? I know that's tough, but I want you to think. Um, I want you to think of a gift that you've received sometime in your life that impacted you. It may have been when you were a kid at Christmas or a birthday. It may have happened sometime in your early adult life. It may have happened... Yesterday, I don't know. I want you to get in your mind a particular gift that you have received in your life that, may, that, that you really remember. Okay, so take a minute to think of it. Do you have it? If so, say yes or nod your head. Okay. So let me ask you a question. When you received that gift, did it bless you? Some of you are emotional right now thinking of it. I'll never forget some gifts that have been given to me. I cannot forget it. I'll never forget that my father who built homes in Indiana, which means you're not building homes December through February, like the ground is frozen. And we always had lean times. Um, but we always ate because my parents said, we have six boys, let's put them to work. So we grew our food. In fact, the worst day of my life in the summer was green bean picking day. I don't know if you've been blessed with green bean picking day, but I have. We planted over a half acre of green beans, and she would wake us up at sunrise and make us pick bushels of green beans. I need therapy. You're part of it today. And because every green bean I picked... I said, see you later, because I knew I would see it later, because after you pick them, what do you got to do? Snap them. Then you got to can them. Then you, then you eat them. And we would put up over 100 quarts of beans a day. And we ate green beans for every meal. I mean, you know, you want fried eggs and green beans? I mean, it's an amazing combo. Um, <laughs> but you were hungry. And I still love green beans. But here's what I know. Uh, it was tough times around Christmas time. 
And I'll never forget one particular Christmas was so bad, my dad had to sell his John Deere tractor. Now, when a man sells a John Deere tractor, it's bad. My, it's one of the two times I've seen my dad cry. And I knew it was tough. And as a kid, you know it's tough. But at Christmas, there was a present for me under the tree. And it was a football. I'll never forget. It's the only gift I had. Now, the part football was true in shape. That was about where it stopped. It was a Voight football. I don't know if anybody remembers a rubber Voight football. Like, it was basically a brick. You threw at each other. It about broke your fingers off when you threw it. But I was so excited, and I knew my parents had sacrificed for it, that I ran outside in the snow and started playing with it. Because I was so blessed by it. I grew up with a kid who grew up in abject poverty. Now, as a kid, I didn't really understand what abject poverty was. I was just kind of living it with him. His mother uh, was from Germany. She had met a U.S. soldier. They got married. They came to America. They had three kids. When she found out she was pregnant with the fourth, he left. Never came back. In fact, my buddy was the fourth child. She was on her way to New York to, because it's the only state that had legalized abortion to abort him. God intervened with her life. She gave birth to him. He was one of the greatest joys in her life, my friend Jason. They grew up in government housing that was free. Uh, she had horrible health issues, knew no English language, and they were broke. Now, me and my twin brother were the youngest of six boys to be graduating from high school. And my parents were so pumped, they threw the party to end all parties, right? Because the last children were leaving. They were so stoked. 32 years of kids in the house. They're like, we're done. Next phase. Empty nest. Now. And so they bought us luggage for our graduation. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Now listen, at my graduation party, all of our friends were there. And I, I got luggage, which was very exciting. And, but I'll never forget my friend's mother, Evie, handing each of us a card, me and my brother a card. And I opened the card, and in it was a dollar bill. And she proudly told us that she had ironed it so that it would look new. It marks me to this day. I, I couldn't spend it. I, I, I felt the room like swirl around me because she had given out of utter poverty. You see, when you give, listen, never forget, it blesses others. Ever. It blesses others. And, and listen, you, can, you, should, you should put God first so that the gospel will advance. But you, you don't need to stop there. Why not just live a life of generosity? Like my wife and I have put a line item in our budget called intentional blessing. We pull it out in cash and carry it with us. I, I can't even begin to number the unbelievable times and the moments that I've been able to bless others. And, and it's, it's, it's the greatest part of our budget. Because when you connect the dots, that because Christ has saved us, that, listen, we deserved hell. He has ransomed us from it. Then we exist to be a blessing to others. And when we give, we bless others. Listen, the third thing that happens when we give, see, when we give, we honor God. We bless others. The third thing is, when we give, we ourselves are blessed. We are blessed. God's word is clear that when we give to his work, we ourselves will experience blessing. Can I get a witness in this house that somebody has experienced blessing? I'm telling you right now, I might get fired up. Woo! 
I'm telling you right now, I've experienced blessing. It says in Malachi 3.10, the only place in God's word where it says, test me, and it's related to giving and putting him first. And it says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into 